0: You are now listening to Conscientization 101, an online magazine combining reflection, music, and action through independent media, 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 media. media, media. I think that the only way that we're going to realize
1: uh, freedom, justice, equality, decent living, thought people is if there's a complete change a complete change everything has has got to be turned around and that that's a revolution it's a revolution, it's a, revolution. It's
0: a, revolution. It's a revolution what's up everybody welcome to another episode of the conscientization 101 podcast i'm your host zari sundiata On this episode, we feature excerpts from an interview we did with Dr. Joao Costa Vargas in Austin, Texas. And if you know anything about Joao, you know he probably wouldn't like us to call him Dr. Joao, but since he did the work, we're going to give him that title and we're going to keep it moving. So Dr. Joao Costa Vargas, this is like, um, an updated interview we did with Jowell because if you listen to our podcast regularly, you know we interviewed him in 2011. So with all the you know different things happening in the world, you know people moving and shaking, and and all the political machinations, we decided that it was time to revisit Jowell and get his take on all these various formations. So during the interview, we're gonna talk to him. We we focus. Well, we start off by talking to him about his new piece called Black Disidentification, the 2013 protests. I'm going to try to say this word, holazines and racial antagonism in post Lula Brazil. We also posted this piece on our site under news. And, you know, we encourage you to go and read it. Pick it up and and that way you can have some insight into what we're talking about. It'll it'll give you more of an understanding of where he's coming from and all that good stuff. You can download it, you know. You can share it, all that good stuff. So he you know he he allowed us to be able to use it. So let's use it. And in addition to that piece, we talk about things such as like black autonomy, the black lives, the so-called Black Lives Matter movement. The rise of consumerism in Brazil, the role of academia, the pitfalls of multiracial coalitions for black people, culture, the role of sports as an imperialist tool, and the benefits of doing structural analysis. And we talk about all these in great detail. So I named what we talked about in the interview, which was just under two and a half hours. But if you want to hear all these topics, you have to hear the whole full interview. So these are just excerpts. So, you know, if you listen to the podcast, you know how to get the full interview just to visit our subscription benefits page for people who are new. Visit our subscription benefits page on our website and we'll give you more details about that at the end of the podcast. Um, Also, we wanted to let you know that during the interview, you're going to hear me say, "sorry," really, really happy. Um, we edited this into the interview Because throughout Joelle would refer to me Using my given name And Zari is my chosen name So to maintain continuity We edited my chosen name Into the interview So that's why you hear me saying Zari um, So We want you to also know That we're going to come up with some really exciting changes For the site We're doing some work that'll make our current subscribers really, really happy and it'll give everybody who who is listening to the podcast who've maybe subscribed to the podcast or just kind of support by listening to that, it'll give you much more access to C101 content. So stay tuned for periodic updates as we continue to make conscientization a more open source of revolutionary content. Okay, so here we go. We're gonna start playing our interview with Joelle. Joelle. Hello, Joao. How are you? Good. And you? I'm fine. How are you this afternoon? This afternoon, yes. Now it is.
2: Better with you folks around.
0: <laughs> That's good. It is always good to talk to people who know what imperialism means, at least.
2: <laughs> I'm going to try to learn it from you.
0: <laughs> All right. Let's start off. So, throughout your books and in your piece that you recently wrote, Black Disidentification, the 2013 protests... How do you say this word? Rozenhos?
2: Oh, holizinos.
0: Holy off. Holy off. Totally off. holizinos.
2: But that's a tough one.
0: (laughs) And racial antagonism in post-Lula Brazil. Mm -hmm. You elaborate on a common theme which breaks down our relationship to the state as an antagonism. You know, you have many examples where you write about and you talk about how the state needs to continue our subjugation and our domination to exist. And we we wanted you to start off by talking about the contradictions involved in the reforms being made in Brazil where African people are gaining more access to credit, monetary stipends, things like that, on the one hand, while on the other hand we continue to be, you know, basically killed in the streets by the police just like anywhere else on the planet. What are those, and even white civilians, what are the contradictions, you know, involved in that?
3: Before, right before you give the answer, I also want to uh, say, uh, one of the things that uh, we, and one of the, I want you to bring you, like you said, the Blairian contradictions, because one of the things you talk about is that um, there are top-down reforms, which, you know, the state gives, and they determine that. And, um, Instead of getting like input, like I think, I think you just said that from from the, the, the what the people need, they don't ha- they don't have any way of shaping that. So mm-hmm. you, that's one of the things you talk. Go yeah. ahead. I'm
2: sorry. Well, thank you, Zari and James, for the question. Thank you also for engaging those texts so closely. You must be the only two people in the world who who do that. The the question in, in Brazil is really complex. When you mention the state and its relation to black folks, one thing we need to look at is the fact that over the last 30 years, I would say, the state has made a concerted effort in attracting black leadership into its cadres. So what you see in Brazil, starting with uh, 1988 constitution up up until today is that black folks who started organizing in the streets, who started semi-autonomous organizations in civil society have been progressively brought into the state as counselors, as functionaries of the state, and sometimes as ministers. Now in Brazil you have, for example, this minister-like bureaucracy called the Secretariat for Racial Justice. That has been run for the last, what, three Workers' Party administrations by key members of the black movement. So the black movement has, in some way, the ear of the Brazilian state. And the black movement together with allies is able to set an agenda that the folks on the ground are not able to. So this is what's going on. So Brazil now has this very progressive affirmative action policy. Brazil has had this very aggressive program of redistributing wealth and income. And at the same time, because the black presence is now at the level of the state, it is pretty much absent at the level of the streets. Mm-hmm. That means that police abuse, the continued patterns of medical malpractice, the continued isolation of black folks, happens at the same time in which you have this these policies that are never going to happen again. So what happened in Brazil during the, f- the first two Lula administrations and the Dilma the administrations is that black folks have been effectively lifted out of poverty. In a way, that's, that's unprecedented. Black folks have benefited from affirmative action policies like never before. So universities that have been lily white in Brazil forever are now places with a substantial black presence. That's very impressive. At the same time at which black folks are still being killed left and right like flies by the police and by neglect. So that that's part of the whole contradiction that we are dealing with in Brazil. But that, that's a great question, and, and it is one of the dilemmas of how to address anti-blackness from the perspective of the state is that even possible
3: well i mean you kind of answered the question right because the thing about it is i think i think it was if i'm recalling correctly i think it was uh Kwame Ture said that uh black power is not a uh, black power is not is not black visibility right so i mean right now like you said in brazil it's kind of having the same type of political situation for black folks kind of the we africans over here has experienced here it is we have all these representatives in the colonial state called the united states but if you look at ownership of property collective ownership of property and you look who owns our neighborhoods if you go in there especially uh we being from houston i'm pretty sure something similar and uh, uh uh well i'm being from austin but living in houston you know, a, a lot of Asians own and control the business economy in our community. So when you look at that and then you look at these politicians working with the state, can they address a state? And especially like Brazil, when you look at what the Portuguese did and how they shaped that, I mean, they didn't really even develop anything. They were just shipping us Africans in by the boatload over there, you know, just get another one. And so now, if, like if I remember you said uh, four years ago that Everybody's eyes was on Brazilia. everybody's eyes was on Brazilia because you know they didn't they saw it as some type of hope in the state
2: so yeah, so the the parallel between the the u s and Brazil I think that that's a really good one. A very schematic picture can be offered of the u s civil rights movement, which is the following at some point, round about the fifties. In what's called today the civil rights movement, you could distinguish a nationalist strand. You could distinguish an Afrocentric strand. Mm -hmm. You could distinguish a revolutionary strand, all mixed together with the more integrationist, the more settled strand. And what happened was that when the civil rights movement became quote-unquote successful, it got taken over by those who could dialogue with the state. Lawyers, professional organizers. And the exact same thing that's happening today in Brazil happened in the U.S. In other words, the struggle moved away from the streets and into the courts. And as soon as it does that, the lawyers take over, the language changes, and it's about (laughs) negotiating with the state that is arguably an anti-black state by definition. So black folks begin to knock on the door of a house, a palace, that is founded on black death. So that's a huge contradiction. It's more or less the same contradiction that Zari pointed to at the beginning. So Derrick Bell talks a lot about this process and that Herbie. that's who I have in mind when I'm when I'm drawing this this scheme. But the nationalist perspective is absent, the revolutionary perspective is absent precisely because ironically the civil rights movement was "Quote unquote," successful,
3: right? It wasn't. You, you didn't see they came out of that. They don't discuss the Black Panther, right. the BLA, exactly. Sundiata, Coley, and all these people. George Jackson, these great theoreticians in prison. You instead, you know, we might get books that I'm kind of critical of, is like uh, even Michelle Alexander's. You know, uh, the mass incarceration. When George Jackson is telling you what happened in Blood in My Eye to me, what's happening in, in Solid ad, brother? We want to forget these brothers and sisters because. You know, they don't look too clean in the state's eyes. A prisoner, they got that tarnish on But people that can kind of dialogue. It's like we have to learn stuff all over. And then when we go to Brazil, right? I remember something that John Henry Clark said. He He said he had just came back from Brazil. And he said it's the most saddest thing he had ever seen in the 80s. He said, that is a black country. He said they could overtake that country overnight if they just knew they were overnight. black.
2: Absolutely, we,
3: they could. We could take it. And he goes, they have everything there to launch pan-Africanism. For they got land,
2: Absolutely. everything. Yeah.
3: But he said they don't know who they are.
2: So in in two thousand and one, I was involved with the popular movement yeah. of favelas in Rio, and at that point, the local favela leadership was able to mobilize sixty three. Black communities, 63 favelas. And one of the phrases that one of the leaders, Humba, used to repeat a lot is, we will descend to the asphalt to get what ours. And at that point, that was heard as crazy. That was heard as threatening. And that was heard as an invitation for looting and for violence against white folks. So needless to say, that movement didn't didn't last long. Humba was threatened by death. He ended up in Austin. And that's a good example of how this discourse of confrontation with the state, confrontation with private property, has no place in this day and age. So we are dealing with a political landscape that, assumes that integration and multiraciality is oh. possible. That's that's the saddest mm. part. That's, that's why you go to a place like Brazil and most black folks are still imagining a place at the table, mm. literally and figuratively. Black folks to this day will not sit at the table with white folks. I know this for a fact. I take students, black students from the U.S. to Brazil. I take black students from poor communities to privileged communities in Brazil. White folks will refuse to sit with with black people and eat together. They will refuse to share the same elevator. They will refuse to share the same washing machine. And the list goes on. And you talk with black folks and white folks, and they will tell you, poker face, that that doesn't exist, and they never noticed it. So that's the lay of the land. Th- these forms of obvious and deep anti-black racism exist on a daily basis, and yet white folks and black folks alike will often negate it. They'll say, that's, I've never noticed this, even though folks are engaging those types of things on a daily basis. I spoke with, this time, just a few months ago, with a really well-known sociologist, leftist, and otherwise perfectly well-informed, intelligent person. And I was having this same conversation. And he was telling me that he never noticed those kinds of dynamics in his neighborhood. He lives in a privileged area of Rio. And he, he said that he never noticed these forms of anti-black racism. So how can somebody who's supposedly well-learned, intelligent, and has access to all kinds of information not notice these basic facts? And black folks are not that different. They will go through these forms of, of terrible discrimination and yet still not only negate them, but expect a future where they will be equal. And this is against all evidence. Folks are dying like, like flies. Black folks are dying like flies. To this day in Brazil, the homicide rates for black folks is increasing. Homicide rates caused by the police is increasing against black folks at the same time at which homicide rates for white folks is decreasing. This is the ultimate proof that even though you may have policies that work at the level of public security, for example. So let's educate our police so that they don't kill as much. They will stop killing poor whites, but they will not stop killing poor blacks and black folks in general. So that's that's another part of the, the contradiction you pointed to at the beginning.
3: <laughs> well, and we're going to continue in that trajectory. This is Contradition 101, Joao Costa Vargas. That's right. Y'all remember last interview I had trouble saying Joao. Now I'm a little old and wiser. Joao. it's the equivalent of "John" for you Anglo Saxons out there. All right, we kind of moving in the same, uh, one of the same direction. What would you, what you're talking about? We got like the colonial state, which we talking about in this particular case, Brazil. And as representatives, representatives, you know, what you just talked about, they talk about, they they do br- br- Brazilian jiu-jitsu, what they call Brazilian jiu-jitsu, just like how they now they claim in Brazil, capoeira, when we all know that was us whooping that ass, and then they tried to say, oh, it's everybody's. We, 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 it, we, just like rap is, is an American art form now, right? They, they switch polarities, and you know, and one of the things, for example... When you, when you talk about the idea of revolutionary Pan-Africanism It's becoming more prevalent as a goal As a struggle If it looks like it's becoming a pre- prevalent as a goal What they are going to do Is they will define Pan-Africanism As the ability to consume goods Fashioned in an African style And they'll probably even be produced by non-African people Made in China See Absolutely. what I'm saying? That's what they'll do They'll say, oh, y'all want Pan-Africanism? We got neoliberalism Okay so I read a book by George Reed Andrews and it describes this phenomenon. His book is called Afro-Latin America, 1800 to 2000. And I want to talk about something when he quotes an African in Brazil. They, you know, the, the, the academic term is Afro-Brazilian. But an African in Brazil, entrepreneur, or I could probably say a Negro. Uh, but he said the best way, this is the Negro in Brazil. He said the best way to be a black militant is to be a success Have y'all not heard that in America Listening audience My Africans over here We want people to say the same thing Andrew also states in the book As he's As he you know, He also states in the go on in the book He says As the black middle class Continues to expand Those of its members Who wish to express Their nigratude, Y'all need to look up Cesar and uh, Sanghor Right But Okay I digress Negritude Have tended to do so not through political action, but rather through the pleasures of consumption. More specifically, consumption of, quote-unquote, black clothes, music, hairstyles, and art. One of the things you talk about in Black Disidentification, your piece, that uh, we read, you say the, please, brother, break it down, ho- J- There we go. <laughs> are mobilized primarily... Mm-hmm. As consumer-minded protests, whereby the young people who participate are primarily contesting the limitations imposed on them and their ability to shop, you know, because the problem with Black folks just being in the mall, right. we know we was talking about Highland Mall, they done closed that down. I heard my my nephew said they closed it down. Right, you know they want them Black folks there. Texas Relays. Andrews uh, also re- quotes Robert Malo. I pray you, you don't know if you're familiar with Robert Malo. He's the publisher of a magazine called Roca Brazil. Uh. Even Beyonce was on the cover of Roca Brazil. Uh, we wrote a piece about that. Y'all should check it out if y'all get y'all a subscription. Get your mind right. He stated, "Who he stated? This is what he stated." And Amos Wilson talks about this too. Blacks are voracious consumers. Uh. They spend, for example, more money on clothes than whites do because they need to signal clearly their social position. I'm not black. I'm a human. So th- that's not a quote. That was me, people. I'm sorry. <laughs> this appears to create a paradox whereby the new black is to unite around the idea of moving away from blackness and its supposed limitations, i.e. not being, you know, like welcoming the mall and stuff like that. By acquiring goods Meant to indicate And display higher status And so I want to I want to I want to I want to ask you uh, Jawah What's your take on this assessment And you know This new black middle class And signaling You know Status And we do it over here We're wearing polo And all that stuff Because I remember in 2011 I think I alluded to this earlier Of course you was like It's exciting time And I don't know where it's going to go And your last words For the interview But I think I know where it's going to go So You can talk about this new and yes, you can add something
0: <laughs> also, because we just got through talking about it, how you how we were talking about how we we haven't acquired land, like can you can you tie that into the answer because I think that like James was saying is because our consciousness is so focused on consumerism, that's why we haven't acquired land, you know, so I just wanted to add that in there.
2: Yeah, that that that's an interesting phenomenon, and, and it's connected to the, the first question. Sorry. So on the one hand, you have all these black folks with unprecedented access to resources. That's the Workers' Party administration for you, in a nutshell. Amazing. Folks don't know what, what happened in Brazil yet. So that, that hasn't been written, that analysis is not there. But it is a watershed moment in the history of, of humanity, period. I, I, I have no problem saying that. So you have these young folks now with, well, now not so much, but two or three years ago with jobs, with disposable income, and they're going, this is great. So what? What are we going to do? White folks have been going to malls and consuming and gathering the entire lives. Now that we have little money, we want to do that too. And what they soon realize is that in spite of their economic citizenship, they have no recognition as a fellow member of the nation writ large Mm -hmm. so when they started gathering in shopping malls the reaction that they caused in the media among pundits and across the board was one that signaled to me that you do not belong even though you may have the resources Mm -hmm. this is not your place this is not an entitlement that you have, even though you may have the money in your pocket. Mm -hmm. And in the word, what was being communicated is that you are not a first-class citizen. And you will never be a first-class citizen. Mm -hmm. Now, the question becomes even more interesting when you bring up the the issue of, of land. Black folks are constantly reminded of their second class citizenship they are constantly reminded that their lives is worth nothing. Mm-hmm. One way to combat that is through traditional forms of political mobilization. you protest, you get together and you say you 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 call out the state and you call out civil society. Mm-hmm. you're a bunch of anti-black races. We want in. We want in. You mm-hmm. keep knocking on the door, mm-hmm. and what do you do while knocking on the door is actually making the door and the state legitimate. Yep.
3: Yes, that's exactly right.
2: You're saying you are a legitimate interlocutor. Yep. That's
3: right.
2: Meanwhile, your folks are dying. Yep. Meanwhile. Right. Your your entry into society, into the mall is being denied on a that's daily basis. And you're negotiating with a negotiator that has no interest in and is unable, mm-hmm. totally unable to negotiate black folks' humanity because right. that's that's the premise of the state. Tell them, Dwight, they won't listen to me. So <laughs> the true. issue of land is really interesting. Yet, to get to to that point, black folks will will purchase land autonomously and run these autonomous communities. As you pointed out from the beginning, they need to be conscientious of their condition as black folks and as folks who, by definition, will never have full membership. Be it in Brazil, be it in the U.S., be it anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. So here we are in, in 2015, and it's a little disheartening that we are still knocking on that mm-hmm. same old door. Yeah. Yeah. And we still want in, and we think that economic improvement, which I have nothing against. I'm all for, for improvement of, of people's lives. Don't get me wrong. But we tend to equate that with membership Mm -hmm. and with the recognition of full humanity. And therein lies the problem. So what I'm saying here is that the knocking on the door should still exist. It should be there. I think that that work needs to be done. It's not the work that I want to be engaged in, but it it needs to be done. (laughs) We We need to get out of out of out of out of the shit, literally speaking, you, you mentioned your, your trip to Venezuela, but black folks throughout the world live on top of their own shit, yeah, and for a reason, we are constantly excluded, we have no access to all the benefits that citizens have have access to right. so that work needs to be done, yet it cannot be equated to the greater work arguably the most important work, which is finding ways to own our humanity. Mm-hmm. And that work cannot be attached to the state. The no. state is the is the entity that will state. constantly negate your humanity. That's right. And most non-black identified folks will also negate your humanity on That's a constant right? basis, which is not to say that black folks don't do that too, because we do that For just sure as that? well, right? So that's where the question of land comes in, y'all. I think that the question of land needs to be one that is attached to attempts of reclaiming our autonomy, taking care of our own business and finding ways to become citizens of the world without the permission of the state mm-hmm. and of anti-black folks, so mm-hmm. that that's how I see the issue of the land. It, it's it's a matter of strategizing ways of becoming self-possessed mm-hmm. and becoming full human that's without right. the legitimation by the state. Right, exactly. So that that's a tough one. I. I And it's not a joke. I keep telling my students who are otherwise clever folks, they are energized, it's the new generation, the Black Lives Movement is out there, It has a bunch of interesting aspects. And I keep telling them, the day you are able to live without your cell phone, without your AC functioning, and without your toilet functioning, you may be ready to start thinking about an autonomous life. But until and unless that day comes, it's going to be hard. When you look at me, what do you see?
0: Hmm. The answer's nothing. I have no feelings about you one way or the other. You're like like lint or, or a bottle cap. You're just a thing to remove.
1: My life in America, land of ice cream and perpetual sunshine. They don't know me. We from public house. We turn the shit to three thousand. You can say we hood, fit it under my hood. We just minding our business. Copper stopping and frisk us. Young black and ambitious, so I guess that's acting suspicious. Demonize my culture, criminalize my kin. Jesus Jones done told you they hating on my skin. Hit the p.m. Cop gas three black mouths. Run up on me, telling me to turn my shit down now. I roll my windows back up, turn the music back up. Cause we ain't bothering nobody. These cracks fucking with us. This asshole gon' lose it if I keep playing my music. We just some high school students, and this the way that we do it. We ain't fucking with you, and don't know why the fuck is you shooting. Stand your ground. And sound soundin' confusing when you the one that's pursuing. These three degrees ain't you can be a professor. PhDs mean nothing. You can be a professor at a prestigious Life life is ad- and athlete athlete is you can be the you you right,
2: life life nothing. Nothing. Police say their 17-year-old
0: son
1: was shocked to think after an argument over loud music. trying to cop a box of cigarettes to a couple of spots from my halo, couple of blocks from a bodego get his hate on I'm black and that's what they hate on in fact the cracker ain't take long to shoot to kill and I'm unarmed setting field for life I got a gun on I fast to pray that when I'm gone my daddy spends his life in filling morgues with cops and Law. his daughter, sons his wife no civil suits no protests, no hollow speech from the protest just hollow poison broken choices my black life is worth no less these three He's being mad. If we find children, we're dead. Take the life that it. you've been a cop yourself. don't it's matter. Nothing. It's just black and white. you the, the same, same way they see the gangsta. Really right. don't do 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 it. The they fuck adults. Give them rights. They see the see life you get up. Everybody want me to be calm. Do you know how them bullets hit my son? What they did with his body and they did with his body. Ain't no gangster. Never been no thug. Never did no beat. Never sold no drugs. Shit, my grade point average, I mean, my GPA done jumped 4.0, but I was good at 3.8. So, why these cracks behave? they quick to say that I'm banging. They criminalize my friends so they can shoot and claim self defense. The they shooting me with impunity, but they soon to see what they did. He was only 12, just a kid. She never reached the eighth year. He was at a Walmart when I crack a call saying, For my life, I'm in fear. They can take my life when they scared. So, they pretend to be scared. Being black it ain't safe here You can ignore the facts and be clear I'm just being sincere This here is where the sense is I just want to go home Please leave me the fuck alone Six cops, illegal choke chokehose Cell phones, capture videos Now I can't breathe and I'm gone Police corruption exposed Still no trial and I'm six feet down I'm gonna over my soul These three degrees ain't nothing years old playing cops and with a toy gun 70 walking with a cane Man, woman, or nothing. child, right, it don't matter. If black white, they see you, 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 you as like nothing. Please tell me why you come in my house like that. Tell me why you came in my house like that. You killed my grandbaby,
0: baby, baby. I'm nothing. That's what
1: I am. I don't know nothing. I don't have nothing. I'm nothing.
0: You know, I, that's one of the things it's like about the whole Black Lives Matter thing is it's almost like you're knocking on the door for a house that is almost about to crumble anyway. Like, it's like you we're starting over and doing something that's we're going back. It's like everybody's hitting the reset button every day and erasing all this history. And then we just go back to civil rights tactics. And that's what's so yeah. frustrating about it, you know. Because we have the history, we have we have people who've written, who who've helped us helped us understand what happened then, so we can get new solutions now. But like we were saying, people don't read and they just go and act, and so that's what it's like. We we already know what happened. Why are we doing this again?
2: Right.
0: You know. Yeah. So that's it's frustrating to see that.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's frustrating. On the one hand, on the other hand. Just as you said, this moment seems to be a moment that's similar to the pre-courts-oriented civil rights movement. So there are lots of young folks in the Black Lives Matter context that have experienced police brutality on a daily basis that see violence as a legitimate a necessary form of protest. Mm -hmm. So all of this is potentially interesting. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So this is potentially similar to when King visited Watts right after the rebellion. And and he couldn't understand. And he he was speaking with kids in Watts and basically calling them out. Mm -hmm. What the hell are you doing? and the kids are telling king that dr king we we won because not only the whole world is watching but we confronted the state with the instruments that we know and that we are willing to use over and over that was pushed aside and it's resurfacing again so that's one of that's one of the interesting and and i hate to use this word but this is this is a, a potentially hopeful moment if those trends are kept away from the the knocking on the door tendency it, it's a huge it's a humongous if it's unlikely yet yes. it's it's on the table so where will it go we don't know we have all indications that it's going to go the same way. Yeah. Folks on? love to be on CNN. They love to be on public television. They love to be visible. And even though it's a new form of leadership, the vocabularies and the strategies, the revolutionary strategies, the radical strategies are out of the table. So I don't know where these folks are getting their information from. So that's that's a huge that's a huge issue. But I'm I I I look at the the various trends within that movement and I I have got to admit that there's something in it that that sounds very vital and can go in an interesting direction. If it does go in an interesting direction, though I'm sure it's it's not going to be called Black Lives Matter anymore. It's going yes. to be something else.
3: Yeah. I think uh, you, you, the interesting thing you said, that I wanted to touch on two things about Black Lives Matter because we've written a piece, we were highly critical of the, some of the quote-unquote leadership of Black Lives Matter. We were talking before this and um, we were telling you how the the just the struggle and dialectics of development to get our website up since the last time we saw you, I think maybe like in 2012. That was three years. Black Lives Matter pops on the scene after Ferguson, they get a website up like that. You look at one of this girl, uh, one of the quote-unquote, if you go on the internet and do some research, Alicia Garza, they say her claim to fame, she's an organizer, whatever that means in the Bay Area. Um, and she's famous for coin one of the persons who coined the term, slogan, Black Lives Matter. Now, I think... You know, you know, we we was talking about we're a little older, and it's just like, how do we go from revolutionary nationalism to this milquetoast neoliberal Susan B. Coleman Foundation talking about our lives matter, and they talking about wearing a, a, a lapel pin similar to breast cancer, and the shit ain't even red, black, and green; it's red and black. And she's from the Bay Area, and there's a big anarchist culture up yeah. there. So I look at her, and then I've also seen her speaking at Ford Foundation, uh, uh. Th- pro- uh, gatherings.
2: Well, stop right there. Yeah, and uh,
3: yeah. there you go. And That's um, the
2: kiss of death.
3: And the kiss of death. And you talk about that. But the thing about it is, like Kwame Turi said, you know, you know, this struggle is eternal and it's always going on. And I want people to read Robert Allen, Black Awakening in Capitalist America, so you can get a history of how the Ford Foundation broke down the radical element. The African liberation movement When they threw that money in there Because it wasn't coming From the people That's what foundations That's what grants do So you got Alicia Garza One of them that I know mm-hmm. Right And her what well, she's trying to push forward She'll say Black Lives Matter But then she started to push An LBGQT I forgot Because they always Add letters to it And she's saying, Well we got to remember About the uh, uh, Homosexuals And making sure we're, the, This movement is Accepting of Uh, uh, Of people who have a Homosexual lifestyle, And it's like Wait a minute Wait a minute Did Mike Brown get killed Because He was a homosexual No It was African You see Now that's what I have A problem with In terms of like I don't care really If you are African And you happen You all in the nation And if you gay You in the African nation No matter what Okay But if you put anything Above being African And I seen her talking At Ford Foundation You can go on YouTube You can go on VMO Ford Foundation Robert Allen, I do my research. We got to look at the co-optation. Now, the rank and file, because I don't even know what the movement's asking for, right? Now, the rank and file, the youngsters, just going out here doing these things, doing these protests, I got love for them because I look at them as the young people who have not been conscientized, but they are being led astray. Exactly, yeah. And so we need to... And, but these people, I think that Garza woman is... Well, because it's three of them. But I know she probably around my age, you know... But Because she, she's not old enough To be considered old By young people Kind of like me But if she ain't young enough To where she don't know What she doing Right And I know the, I know she's Known as an organizer And I've been to the Bay Area I've seen their organizing It's very foundation And granty Right Now I want to talk about Something you said about Like you said about The state earlier Because I remember Something Walter Rodney Said in Walter Rodney Speaks He said I'm a guerrilla intellectual Walter Rodney Speaks Y'all need to check that out In the C101 library Go ahead and get you a copy Y'all need to read more Now he said, "I'm not. I'm not saying the struggle ain't gonna be in the streets, but as a guerrilla intellectual, you don't give in to the university in terms of, you don't give no way. If you can get some stuff from the university, get it, grab it. That's why we grabbed Wow. because he said I can be grabbed it. So we grabbing him. So you see, so we can't give up anything, anything, because we guerrillas. We got to be. We got to give. You got. We can print the copies. You can get on, on everything we be talking." But it's like you said We Who are the interlocutors? I mean we were talking about Amos Wilson Absolutely, beforehand, yeah. Yeah. And When I look at The Black Lives Matter The quote unquote leadership And they're not I don't even know how to organize They're not even saying What's the goal Are you a nationalist movement Are you integrationist movement You got people Netroots nation Busting in saying Black Lives Matter Interrupting stuff like that Are you gonna be Rank and file Mobilization for the Democratic Party Which it looks like You're gonna be If I follow political trends And I do For my people So when 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 I when I when I look at all this stuff going around, and I think I lost my train of thought. But I was just saying, in terms of like, um,
2: you see, you're asking basically what the hell Black Lives Matter <laughs> is about, right? Yeah, right. I, I, I'm, and I'm, yeah, and I I, I can see you and Zari discomforted by what I said, and what I said was was just this. <laughs> I think that the movement brought in folks to recognize themselves as political subjects in a way that hasn't happened in a while. And the question is whether they're going to follow the broader movement of knocking on the door or do something else. That's it. So, black lives don't matter. We know that. Yes! Right? So What exactly? So we we we, that that and I think some of these folks are out in the streets precisely because they recognize that. Right. Now you you have a you you back to square one or you're back to the legalist integrationist approach when you forget that black lives don't matter and focus all all your energies in trying to make things work as if black lives matter black lives will never matter under these uh, these circumstances thank you so it's a huge contradiction there and you you are right that the very term of the movement the black lives matter obviously signals to integration to externally directed full citizenship so it is undoubtedly integrationist <laughs> in that regard it is reformist and because reformists bound to fail as a project that actually improves black lives and, and black people's lives. So in that regard, absolutely, it's, 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 it's bogus in, 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 in that respect. So what can we see happening at this moment what What we can see happening at this moment again is perhaps something similar that was going on in the fifties when nationalist trends revolutionary trends are all in the mix. Yeah, you see I, what I'm saying yeah so I agree, I those agree folks those folks are in the mix, the folks who are not not hesitating in confronting the police, mm-hmm. the folks who are not hesitating in breaking private property and saying, That's right. okay. screw okay. private gotcha. property. That's this, is, right. this is messing us up. So what's a an interesting scenario coming out of this is that these folks begin to think about land, begin to think outside of the institutional mechanisms and vocabulary folks begin to say, you know what? We're not interested in this partidary politics. Right. We're not interested. That's we right. know where, what Ford Foundation is about. We know what negotiating with mm. the Democratic Party and with the state is like. So we, we want that. We, we want nothing with that. And I think some of these young people can actually reach that that conclusion. Yes. Right? So that, that that's all I was saying.
3: No, I, now I see what you're saying because yeah. it's kind of like that's What I was saying because see, Joel, see, you be being positive. See, I thought you I thought
2: we've we 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 have reached a uh a a, a weird <laughs> ground, haven't we? Yes, we have. You, you I, have become the you. Pers- yes. more pessimist than me. Hey, and I'm going, no, 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 wait a minute. This is what he just
3: did, he just flipped the script. <laughs> but it's funny, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. It's funny you said that because what you make me think of because I just read over cuz I needed some clarity cuz you know sometimes shit just happens and you just I need to get away and th- go read yeah. I just reread uh Ready for Revolution. Exactly. And I remember when you remember when Fannie Lou Hamer went to the Democratic We didn't come all this way for no two seats. She was a quote unquote illiterate sharecropper wife from Mississippi. Exactly. exactly. But when people get in motion to struggle. Exactly. When you end up conscientious a wave and you
2: you in the you in you in, in the ocean. That's right. It doesn't mean you want to go to the same place. That's right. And just like but quite, you get swept up and just, that's what I'm saying.
3: That's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Like I remember some Kwame Ture said. You said all these different Trends, elements in them strengths yeah. in the mix, Absolutely. and like he said, yeah. just yeah. because we against them don't mean we for the same thing.
2: Absolutely. So
3: the in the '60s was a dress Absolutely.
2: A, so th- this is this is. Look at you! Hi- wow. This is this is. Uh, oh my God. This is this is it's uh, re- rain. recent history. Representing itself, yeah. represent itself. This time, maybe as as farce.
3: Yeah, and I want to say that's what I Let's
2: not forget that revolutionary black folks were in the Panthers, were in the civil rights movement. That's right. Movement, that's right. And at at one point, they realized, you know what? This this is not happening, and we'll do our thing.
3: Yeah. And it's funny because, like, what I was going to say is in terms of like. um when you say, you you, I, when you, know, me and you, you and I, all of us are kind of, we look at stuff, you know, kind of reading and kind of narrative experiences we had and we can even look. And that's why the value of study is so important because you can look at a term like Black Lives Matter, right? And I think of what Amos Wilson said and, and some of the works he's written that's also available on our website that you guys need to look at and um, also some of his YouTubes. But some of the things he said is us as black folks are very extremely Externally directed As a group we need to be internally directed Our movements need to be in Because when you're externally It's always dependent But that's because there's been a lack. We have been made to serve We were brought to this hemisphere And also left back home And been planted and inculcated our identity To serve We weren't taught to critically think And then they say You know how you know you critically think? Because you're in the university And so we think some of these black folks That's in the university Can critically think when the best critical thinker is the youngster on the block who know when that Absolutely. cop comes, yeah. he say, Oh no, sir, I, I was good now. And then when he leaves, he say, man, that, that pig done left, out." You know. So that's the thing we need to realize. We need to put and we need to say that these kids this forget, might be.
2: Yeah, forget the university, forget <laughs> forget black studies in the US. Um that that project is an integrationist project. It's the Black Lives Matter official project. <laughs> So it's uh, it's flour from from the same sack, really. Um, where do you get where do you get this revolutionary knowledge? You get revolutionary knowledge from historical accumulated knowledge, and from folks who have no other choice but come up with revolutionary knowledge. So if you're out there, folks around you are dying on a daily basis. Folks around you are being shot. Folks around you are being neglected by the state in education healthcare, you you will necessarily come up with an alternative project, a revolutionary project. So you're absolutely right. What is astounding to me, but I, I realize very naive of me, is to expect that intellectuals and black studies intellectuals of that be minimally... Engaged in revolutionary projects, you talk about revolutionary projects or even a revolutionary ethic or revolutionary theory in Black Studies environments and academic environments. You are laughed at. Mm. It's it. This is where we are at. So that there's a whole institutional process of ridiculing these types of approach, and and what you get is the incessant repetition of the need for integration, recognition, multi-raciality. So that's what folks believe in. So we are in the era, it's a very Baldwinian era, and there's several Baldwins, I know this, but there's a a Baldwin that wants the the integrated country, that wants the full presence of black folks recognized. And this is... This is where we are at. In all of these different scenarios that you painted, so in Black Studies, in Black Lives Matter, in Black movements across the diaspora, Brazil is no different. And that, that we got to a point in Brazil where even folks who are organizing around genocide are using the state as the main interlocutor. That, that's
3: that's crazy, right? Right. Who's so, doing it?
2: This is across this is across the board. So there, there's a strong there's a strong anti-genocide movement in Sao Paulo, there's a strong one in Salvador, and these folks are are very active, very important, and the same at the same time they are engaged in dialogues with either the state or state representatives. Engaging civil society. So there's... I haven't heard projects of autonomous communities, for example. Well, black land, black laws, black alternative communities. There's none of that.
3: Um, It's happening. We, we're going to start talking about it because we talk about it on the website. So see, now you've heard. Now we're in the building. Now, the question... The question is, is but like he just like you just said, it's like they want to influence power mm-hmm. as opposed to game power. But I just want to comment on basically what you said in terms of um you said uh they're talking to the state mm-hmm. and the state is the one that's doing it. And it seems like we're repeating history. And I, you know, a, a, a platitude of people, oh, you know, you're bound to repeat history. If you, mm. continue to, if you don't study it, you'll repeat the history. And I remember something I read in uh, Kwame's tours from uh, Black Power to Pan-Africanism. He said this, he said, you can't repeat history. You can only repeat the same mistakes or same right. actions over different circumstances, changing Absolutely. conditions. Yeah. So as we... Go with this Garza Or go with whatever The foundation Or whoever they with Whatever they claim Because I just want to know How you get access To all this media This mainstream media And y'all know what Mainstream media is Euphemism is White media How do you get to Be the forefront Of the black lives Even on Russia Today When I go on Russia Today How's the Black Lives Matter And there's some Organizations here That um, You know That have a following That kind of do Talk about land In terms of like you got Brother Sarasudasetti, Brother Polite up, you know, they be traveling and they talk about what they say. They say African world supremacy, right? That's what they talking about. But they don't get no pub. But if you look at who follow them and they can get crowds like that, but you're never going to hear about it.
2: Yeah. So that's what, that's that's the problem with these integrationist initiatives that they crowd out yes. the revolutionary approaches and and vocabulary. That's exactly it. But uh, again, don't get me wrong. I think that I'm all for localized improvements. If they can be gotten, go for it. That's not what I want to do, and that's not where the the most important project is. So do we want better infrastructure? Do we want free medical health care? Do we want a police that's not murderous or even community-controlled those all sound like great ideas, but they are localized improvements that don't make a dent That's in the anti-black structures of, of the world we live in. So go for it. This is your your, your calling. Um, this is great. But this is not going to change the fact that my 11-year-old son has been asking for a bulletproof vest. So the, the 11-year-old has figured it out. This, this world is not for him even if they reform the police, even if there's a recognition of anti-blackness in certain sectors of our society. So healthcare maybe has an anti-black streak. Whoa, this is great. Let's try to fix that. Even if all of these things are fixed within the confines of the state and public policy, it doesn't make our world any less anti black that's exa- that's exactly
3: right? the case that's so
2: go for it i have i have some respect for for that but that's not what's going to change our lives ultimately right it will it will it will be an adjustment it will be an improvement of sorts but it's not going to make black lives any less Obsolete, And that's that's what we are dealing with.
0: Yeah. All right, everybody, that is the end of this episode of the Constantization 101 podcast. And as you know, this was an excerpt. So if you want to finish listening to this interview in its entirety, all you have to do is go to Constantization101.com or RC101magazine.com and subscribe today. You will have access as a subscriber to this particular interview and all of C101's interviews. Past, present, future, also access to much more. So go to our site, go to the subscription benefits page for full details, and most importantly, you will be supporting 100% independent media. This episode has featured sounds from... Wise and Intelligent, the song is nothing from his forthcoming album, Stevie Bonneville Wallace. We want to thank Joao for taking the time to talk with us when we were in Austin. It was great, it was wonderful, as always. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter at Conscient1, that's C O N S C I E N, and the number one on Facebook at Conscientization101 and Instagram at C101 Editors. Until next time, peace.